Hello and welcome to part eight of the Fincher Countdown from Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and today on the podcast, we're talking about the movie where Daniel Craig tries to solve a twisty mystery involving Christopher Plummer's family. The first one of those, that is, as we review David Fincher's 2011 adaptation of Stieg Larsson's The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And by we, I of course mean my co-hosts and fellow Happy Meal eaters, Scott Shelton and Jay Habib. How's it going, guys? Honestly, the best question you should have asked there was not how we're doing, but when is the last time we ate a Happy Meal? Because I think that you really would have unearthed some problems in uh, in some of the logic of your intro there. But no, I'm doing I'm doing well. I I look. I had not seen this film, and I know we're about to get into this, but I hadn't seen this film before, and I was really excited to watch it. So I was very excited coming into this week. I watched the film. I'll save my thoughts to it in a second. But yeah, it's been a good week. Lots of good films. Uh, we've been watching on the Venture Countdown, but also I just keep watching Tenet every single week. So uh, I'm, I'm seeing some great movies right now in theaters. Yeah. Uh, Scott, don't mention Tenet on a podcast challenge starts now. But um, but yeah, no, no, I know. Phone it in for I next t- week. <laughs> I took a gamble assuming that you had eaten, y'all had did actually eat Happy Meals, but I don't think it was like uh, that risky of a gamble because I feel like a large majority of the population has probably had a happy meal at least once in their life, right? They've been around for quite a while, but um, anyway, Jay, how are you? I'm good, Scott. I can't say I'm sure I've ever had a happy meal because that was one of the things my parents were just like, no, like not to McDonald's, but to like happy meal specifically because of that (laughs) extra few dollars you pay for the toy. And then they also have to deal with the fact that I have a new toy. So this is one of those things I don't think I've ever experienced. Yeah, um, I'm the same with Charlie. I don't let her have any any meals with toys in them. There you go. Yeah, that tragedy aside, I mean, I'm doing well. You know, the the Lakers are in the NBA Finals. That's that's been fun. Football's back, so you know, the the sports fan in me is very happy right now. Scott yeah. can talk about sports fandom this week. He's had a. Great it almost see, it almost seems like normal with uh, with all the sports back, except for the fact that yeah, all of my teams are winning, which is not not that normal. Um, but it's all going to come to a screeching halt this week, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, and, and honestly, whenever when uh, people listen to this, which will probably be in a couple of weeks from now, um, I will probably sound like a fool for actually having any sort of positivity about my sports teams. But um, let's talk about this movie now, shall we? Uh, as mentioned, today we are talking about Fincher's version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, based on the worldwide bestseller by Stieg Larsson, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a chilly detective story set in Sweden where reporter Mikhail Blomquist, played by Daniel Craig, has recently been convicted of libel, ruining his sterling reputation. Disgraced and angry, Mikhail becomes intrigued when he receives a phone call from the wealthy Henrik Wenger, played by Christopher Plummer, who has a job that Mikhail can tackle while he lays low for a while. That job is to solve a decades-old mystery. What happened to Henrik's grandniece Harriet? when she mysteriously disappeared 40 years earlier. Mikhail agrees to investigate, and soon his investigation leads him to cross paths with lone wolf computer hacker Lisbeth Salander, played by Rooney Mara. The victim of years of abuse and humiliation, Salander is a steely figure, but she and Mikhail form an unusual relationship as they delve deeper into Wenger's case. Guys, the girl with the dragon tattoo sees Fincher going to the serial killer well one more time, this time with mega popular source material to support him. Does his adaptation crackle with the page turning suspense of the novel it was based on, or has Fincher done all there is to do with the serial killer genre? Jay. 
So coming into this, I, I had almost no information about it. In fact, I don't think I knew a single thing about the plot, the characters, like who was in it, anything until, you know, I read like the, the IMDb synopsis. And then, you know, from talking to you guys last week, knew that Rooney Mara was in it. That was it. Mm -hmm. Impressive, and, since this is a, an incredibly complex family tree to follow. <laughs> and... Yeah, I mean, it. You know, I, I didn't. I didn't read too much of the Wikipedia page. From what I can tell, this is a very well known and well regarded movie. Where I landed on it was, it had some incredible performances. It just didn't do it for me as a movie. Um, and you, you know, we we talk about those kinds of films sometimes, where it's like, yeah, you know, like, I'm not comparing this movie to Joker, just to be clear. But I'm using this as an example. Like Joaquin Phoenix, although incredible in the movie, you know, it doesn't save the movie. Um, again, for totally different reasons. It's a very extreme example of what I'm talking about here. But yeah, as great as you know, Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara are, the movie itself for me just didn't didn't quite do it. All right. Well, Scott, do you echo Jay's thoughts, or uh, do you have a different take here? Yeah, I think this this really harkens me back to our Star Wars um, countdown because this is a, a film where Jay has literally no exposure to it whatsoever. And even though I haven't seen this movie, so not quite exactly in Star Wars, but like this is one of my favorite books of all time. It's uh, one of my favorite novels. I've revisited it several times over the last few years uh, since I first discovered it when I was in college. I mean, I knew about it before college, but I didn't get around to reading it until college. And uh, it's been one of my favorite novels ever since. It is a long novel. It's a 600 page book that has been distilled to a long movie, but still only a two hour and 40 minute movie. Um, especially when this plot is considerably dense in areas related to the very complex uh, family tree of the Vankers. And I think that uh, with that being said, I had really high expectations going into this movie because it's one of my favorite books. And I was really excited, not, not just high, not high expectations, but really excited because I think Daniel Craig is an interesting casting. Wouldn't necessarily have been my go-to, but it's an interesting casting. Obviously, he was really hot from you know the beginning of his run at James as James Bond. This was before Skyfall, I think, um, but after Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, and also Rooney Mara, who maybe not as like uber famous before Girl with Dragon Tattoo, but I think is well regarded as a very accomplished actress. Um, and I mean, she was nominated for Academy Award for this for this role, and. I will say that I think Jay is spot on about there being strong performances. I think the performances are really impressive. I think Daniel Craig is a really interesting Mikhail Blomquist who has a very, like I just have a very clear picture of who that character is from my time with the whole series, not just this book, but the, but the whole series. And same for, for Elizabeth Salander, like a very clear picture. And I, you know, I saw the version of this film, not this film, but the sequel soft reboot of this from a couple years ago with, it's like Claire Foy, and I don't even remember who played Blomquist. He was basically not even in the movie. Um, and Claire Foy was okay in this role. Like Rooney Mara is Elizabeth Salander. She's so good in this role. Really, really impressive performance from her in a role that I can't imagine a more difficult page to screen role. Where like so much of the novel is based around like exploring her psychology, but not through the way she like talks or interacts with people. Like just literally in her own head. And I think that Rooney Mara just does an incredible job and Fincher and Zalian do a, a really good job capturing some, some of, if not most of that psychology and, and able to, and being able to translate that onto the screen with some necessary 
dumbing down of the material. Um, not from a character perspective, but from a plot perspective, because it's just so complex and dense of a, of a mystery in the plot. Like, I think that they've literally just cut the family tree like into a third. There's like, there's so little of the family in, the, in this movie. And that's smart because they, they would have just completely lost people, I think. So overall, I hear what Jay is saying around uh, the performances being really got strong and then up to the point around, but it still doesn't save the film for him. I think I understand that. I can never go back into a, into a situation where I put myself... Uh, in Jay's shoes and not have the exposure I have to the book because I know a lot more and I'm a lot more comfortable with that material um, and navigating the areas that might be jumping a little bit further along in the plot than it might have laid the groundwork for in the book. So I think I might could see where you're coming from, but I still just as a David Fincher note here, Scott, to get back to the other part of your question, has he done all he can do with the serial killer genre? Maybe, but what he can do with serial killer genre and what he's already done is really impressive. And I think that he is just kind of the master of the genre, it feels like, almost. And I think that he has done all he can do with two hours and 40 minutes, with a two hour and 40 minute film with this novel. Um, there are things that I do differently. There are some parts of the plot that are actually substantially different from the book um, for creative. I don't know why Zalian and Fincher did, did, chose to do what they did with it. I think it works fine. Um, makes it slightly less interesting, but I think it works fine overall. And it's, I think it's impressive to be able to translate the novel onto the screen the way that they did. But I do think there are holes and missing parts uh, to the movie that keep it from being, you know, the, the top, top tier as much as I want this to be of Fincher. Yeah, so I am in the same boat as Scott in that I read the book when I was in college um, and I enjoyed it. I can't say I like really remembered that much about it going into this. And I have seen, I had seen this film before. So I guess I'm the one, one of us here who had seen it before. Um, I saw it, I watched it after reading the book in first year of college. Um, and I enjoyed it at the time, but did think it was, you know, sort of mid tier probably uh, among Fincher's films that I had seen. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting though, watching it again, like, with with book adaptations, like when you have a novel that is so that is like as big as this, um, I feel like there are different directions you can go. Like because sometimes you just see these novels that like blow up, and it's like immediately we have to make this movie, we have to get this out there um, while the a strike while the iron is hot, basically. And so they kind of just sign up whoever. Like the, I'm thinking of the girl on the train mainly. Like that book took off, and then within like a year or so the movie came out and was just awful. It's awful film. Um, but they didn't like spend the time to like, like Tate Taylor directed that. And I don't know who wrote it, but it wasn't anyone. I mean, maybe it was the person who wrote the novel. I don't know, but um, they didn't spend the time. I don't think that was necessary to like ensure that the adaptation was going to be satisfying. They just wanted to get this out there while the book was hot so that they could get people to the theaters. They didn't seem like they really cared about whether it was good or not. With this, I think they've done the exact opposite, right? Where, where they're like, okay, we want this thing to be good. So who are we going to go get? We're going to go get David Fincher, who has like the best track record you could possibly have for doing serial killer films. And we're going to go get Steve Zalian, who is like, you know, he, he really doesn't have any sort of fat in his filmography. If you look at the stuff he's written over the years, like when you get a combination like Fincher and Zalian, like I'm not going to say it's like, you know, always going to be a good movie, but eight or nine times out of 10, you're going to get a really, really solidly well-made film. And that's exactly what this is. I think it's an incredibly well-made film and 
very, I, I mean, like it's a, it's a satisfying adaptation of the novel, maybe not fully satisfying to Scott's point. And I do, I, we are going to, I do want Scott to talk later specifically about, you know, maybe where it, where the novel does certain things a little bit better. But, um, but I think that uh, it's, it's a really, really strong film. Maybe my um, least, probably, yeah, I mean, definitely my least favorite of the three serial killer films, but that's not saying that much because like, you know, Zodiac and, and Seven are in like my top hundred of all time. So um, I just think this is a, it's a thorough, again, a thoroughly well-made, competently made um, film, great performances, as you all have said. I think the, the lead two actors have terrific chemistry together. Honestly, I was, most interested in the relationship um like that was the most interesting aspect of the movie to me even more so than the mystery was um and and i think there are some really interesting themes in the movie about misogyny and you know vi violence and stuff like that um i think it has a little bit more on its mind than just like you know thrilling you and um keeping you hooked which it it certainly does that despite the long running time again i i i didn't feel the the minutes dragging by or anything like that. So I'm a fan of this film uh, for sure. I, I think uh, it's it's a really strong entry in this genre. And and look again, I have to admit this is the type of thing that's right up my alley. Like I w watching this, I was like I didn't remember like how procedural this thing was, but like it really is. Like down to Elizabeth Salander going into the records room at at Hendrik Vanger's office and like looking through the documents and stuff, which as I have mentioned before. Like is like my crack when characters do that in movies. It's Scott's love language, yeah. I'm pretty sure. And I'd forgotten that that was in the movie. So like when the door like swings open to the records room and you see like the shelves and stuff that she, and she's about to go in, I was like, let's go. Um, so yeah, that that was uh, that was uh, you know again this this type of movie is up my alley. So I admit I, maybe I like it more than the average person, but I think from an objective quality perspective. Again, it's just, it's very, very solid. It's exactly what you would expect from a David Fincher, Steve Zalian partnership. And I think they did the right thing with this movie, uh, it, with, you know, how they wanted to adapt the book. If, if they, they wanted to make a good film, clearly, and that's why they went out and took the time to get these guys. But without further ado, let's get into the, the cast, which we seem to all be agreed on is a really strong aspect of the movie. And Starting with uh, the leads here, Daniel Craig, as Scott mentioned, was uh, was coming off of um, Quantum of Solace, uh, you know, kind of in between Bond films at this time. There was, a, uh, you know, a little bit of a hiatus here between, uh, I guess Skyfall came out the next year. I think it was 2012. But um, but yeah, between Quantum of Solace and, and Skyfall, he did this film um, and Rooney Mara, who we did see last time out in the social network, but was not really uh, that much of a known name at this point. This was kind of what put her on the map, but what do you guys think are strong about these performances? Because it's clear, I think that we all are fans of the performances. Uh, Scott, we'll go to you first. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll start with, with Rini Mara. Cause I think she's, I mean, she's the role, right? Like in the film, you look at this, you look at it on, like, look at the screenplay on paper. You, you read it, you read the novel, whatever it is. Like, you're going to look at this and you're going to be like, this is the performance that probably the movie lives or dies on. Cause it's such an eccentric character. There's so much there, right? Like not just the psychology of the character, but also just her physical appearance, right? Like there's just so much going on uh, in every department and talk about going from what is a pretty rudimentary role in the social network of you get two scenes to just roast a very deplorable person and going to something like this where, you know, you're going to have to endure sexual trauma 
you're going to have to endure. I mean, not really on screen, but she has a past of enduring um, harassment, essentially, and a, a, a justice system that devalues her existence based on her eccentric personality. I mean, the book goes so much more into it than than this is able to explain her past and stuff like that. And maybe not even that novel, but but novels, the, the sequels might go into it even more. I'm, I'm mixing up details, maybe which, which ones go where, but there's just so much to this character and to go into where, whatever place that Rooney Mara has to go to, to be able to deliver the performance she delivers in the way that she delivers it, really capturing what I felt was the real essence of that character from the novel as well is really special. Like, I, I don't think you can understand it. There's very few roles out there that ask you to do so much and ultimately deliver on what is given. And I think that Rooney Mara excels at, you know, the little details of this performance, which I think are so important. Like it's because she's not a very talkative person. And so she has to communicate a lot through body language, through, you know, just through little things as part of her actions that she's committing in this film. Um, because she's clearly very intelligent, this character, I mean, if anything, a, a genius, uh, so to speak. And she's exercising her genius in a way that, and, and exploiting people's perceptions of her in a way to take advantage of them and to ultimately dominate them, come out on top, et cetera. And it's just so fascinating to see how she interacts with the world around her. Like, I think, I specifically think of like the opening meeting with her and, the characters don't matter in this in the movie, but they matter more in the book. But like the like, Der Froda, uh, who's like the lawyer for Wenger, and then um, Rooney. So Elizabeth Salander's like boss, who is a non-entity in this film, but is more important in the book. Um, like that interaction is so interesting. I think and really sets the tone for the whole film. The way she responds to the questions she's being asked, the way she's trying to keep things like surgically professional, uh, because she knows that like the way she interacts with people outside of the surgically professional way, um, spirals, I think is the best way to put it. And so I find it really a really fascinating tone setter for her character. And then to see that, again, that that tone sort of carried through and delivered on throughout this, uh, throughout it is special. And I don't think she ever breaks from that character at any point in the film. And it's special to be able to hold that, to hold that sort of spell um, and the place that you're in for two hours and 40 minutes in which you're on screen for a good portion of it is really impressive. And I'm, I don't know what she, who she lost to for the Academy Award that year, but it's a very special performance. Yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head either, but yeah, it's, she definitely deserved the nomination at the very least. And she did get that. So um, yep. that's, that's a plus for the movie, but Jay, anything to add about Rudy Mara or to say about Daniel Craig? I think Scott said it pretty well. I mean, you're you're right. Uh, you're. I, th I think you summed my thoughts up best, Scott, in one of your final points, which was like she never breaks from this character, and like I really felt that. You know, like I perhaps filling the runtime a little bit more than you guys, but still very much like there wasn't. You know, despite like how long it might have felt, there wasn't a moment of it where like I didn't believe what Rooney Mara was putting on screen. You know, and like again to be able to go to that place and put on a performance like that, like you know boggles the mind honestly i mean you know you, you talked about some of the things this character's gone through and you know to again be able to convey that and you know to be able to just stay in that space you know every like you know every muscle we can see right like it just it, like again like the, the movie was a lot for me but you yeah. know i, I can't the movie, the movie is a lot. It, 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 yeah. to be fair like 
this movie is maybe doesn't really seem like on paper as dark as a movie like Seven, um, but it, it's just as dark yeah. as, as a movie. Oh, I, I would even say darker. Well, yeah, the, the uh, sexual in, trauma related stuff. I think. Is yes, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get around to that. Yeah. Um, but like that, that, that part of it like disturbed me more than any part of Seven did. Um, That's fair. Just you know personally and. You know, again, again too, I'll say it. I, I was surprised at the graphic detail to which they actually went to deliver, like probably like the big scene. Um, it's wild that that this got an R. Like, I mean, this it, it it's pushing the uh, the boundary. It seems like to getting an NC seventeen for sure with uh, with yeah the scene that you're talking about. Yeah, and, and but but then there's like there's actually a lot more to it in in the book. I'm talking about other experiences that she's had. Yeah, uh, in the in the book. So, but they were able to deliver that that scene, which I think is so critical to understanding her character, um, really really well. And and I think also just something that that Jay, you're making me think of is that not only does she hold this character, but she's also like not a static character in the film either. Like, I think you see her grow immensely over the course of the film. Yeah. The relationship that she builds with you know Mikhail Blomquist, uh, you know Daniel Craig's character here is something that's really interesting. Like the way she develops it, that relationship is really interesting. I do think it's a point where the movie is given short shrift because of its limitations. Like the, the book, uh, I think it, it just develops the relationship more over time and it feels a little bit less rushed. And I think that it, it feels a little bit more believable in that sense. Um, so I, I do think that was like one small weakness of the movie if I had to point to one where it, it really just, because of its limitations, it couldn't get all the way there. But I still think that, that Mara's performance, even through that, still feels believable, right? And it still feels like, oh, like, this is not this is not some huge shift in her character. Like, it's subtle, and you see it, but it's there, and it builds, and, and it's still really impressive, um, even if it does feel like it could have been developed more. I almost I, I almost hear uh, you saying that this is yet another Fincher film that maybe could have been made a mini series. I'm guessing like a, a mini mini series, not a full like ten episodes, maybe like six or something. Yeah, I, I think this absolutely could have been made a six or eight episode mini series, and I'm surprised it hasn't been. Maybe because there've already been like three versions of this movie already. But seems fair. Um, it's why he it's why he did Mindhunter. It's why it's like why he went and went did House of Cards and Mindhunter after this. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why. There you go. And um, just to give, I guess, Daniel Craig, you know, his, right, like he, you know, yeah. like is a, is an interesting character from the first moment, you know, you kind of feel the rage, but like in the frustration, you know, and his just demeanor, like is interesting. This is a guy you, you know, want to root for, not just because he's like the little guy going up against this supposedly corrupt politician who, you know, they, they really go out of their way in the beginning to be, make you feel like, yeah, this guy sucks. Um, but you know, even in, especially even and especially in the way he interacts with Rooney Myers' character, you know, just makes you again like root for this guy. Like Daniel Craig is just like charismatic on his own, and then you know, also like you pointed out, you know, his the way his relationship develops with Rooney Myers' character, the rush timeline of some of it notwithstanding, uh, is you know, it really does carry the film. You know, I, again, as much as I I thought it could. Yeah, Craig Craig is solid. He he's outshined dramatically, I think, by Rooney Myers in this. No film. question. That's because his character. Yeah, that's by design. Do. He doesn't have anything yeah. to do. Well, I mean, yeah, but I think he's an interesting, you know, compliment because, yeah. uh, like, like Jay says, you know, we we like him from the beginning, and yeah, you know, we're supposed to believe that this person who, you know, doesn't let anyone in to Scott's point, right? At, she's she's at a point in her 
life or whatever, where she has been hurt so many times by letting people in emotionally, specifically men. Yes. Yes. By men that, uh, you know, she, that is why she is the way she is with being so clipped and professional and everything with, um, you know, the, all of the men in, in her life. And I mean, look, and then, you know, her new, um, caretaker, counselor, person, whatever uh, his role is, right? Who Lord. also abuses her. I mean, that, that's um, that's that he's the one we see in the movie doing it. Um, yeah. But so so he has to create this sort of, um, you know, down to earth, um, likable character um, so that we would believe that, you know, she would eventually let her defenses down. And I think he does that. I think that um, he is uh, that character. Although I am very intrigued and I do very much like where the movie goes in the end with the character and their relationship. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think that Rudy Mari is so strong and, and I just find this character, you know, so interesting for the, the reasons that we're talking about the fact that, um, you know, she, she does let um, him in um, like, and, and we, we come to see like that their relationship actually means something to her, even though she would probably never say that or even necessarily show that on her face to him. Um, but when she's talking to the uh, the old man, I, I don't know exactly what her relationship is when they're playing chess at the end or whatever. Older it was it was her older, like her previous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, she's her she's his ward i guess his ward yeah yeah um but he's also an incredibly important character in the book who doesn't get yeah. much time in the movie yeah well and i mean he's telling she's telling her like yeah she's telling him i i made a friend like this is someone you would actually approve of or whatever it clearly their relationship means a lot to her she goes and buys him the gift what i mean i'm not talking about the very end of the movie here but yeah. um but uh, I so I, I like the vulnerability in the performance. I like that she shows just the right amount um, to where we we still believe this is the same like you know steely person that we've seen throughout the movie, but yep. we also understand that something has changed. To Scott's point, um, as she has gotten to know this guy better, uh, she's fi- she believes that she has finally found someone who will like treat her like a human being. Yes, and yeah, with yep. respect. Um, it sounds crazy, but like that's what possibly be wrong. Uh, but yeah, so so I think it's a fascinating character, and I think that Rooney Mara plays it incredibly well. She has a great screen presence. Yeah, her body language and everything. Like when even when she's when she's not saying anything, even when there's nothing on her face, even like you can you know what she's feeling. Honestly, at, at all all the times in this movie, which I think is important for a character who doesn't speak that much, that we um, can get in that headspace. I understand why it takes so long for these two characters to get together, like to meet up. But once they do, I think that is when the movie really, really takes off. I mean, I I think the first part of it is solid, Um, but it is kind of a shame not, not, and it's not really a knock on the movie, but again, it's, it is kind of a shame that we only get like an hour of them working together. Whereas, you know, if we got the sequels, uh, we would have gotten more, but um, that's never going to happen, unfortunately. Um, the sequels go, I mean, they're like a strange yeah. end of this film. The sequels, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, but we'll t- we'll talk about the the sequels and all also, of that. Fun fact about Rooney Mara before we move on is since Jay was talking about Joker earlier, she and Joaquin Phoenix are engaged. They actually just had a child, I think, yesterday or two days ago. Rooney Mara gave birth to a child, so congratulations to her. Uh, and they named it River after uh, after Joaquin's late brother. So there you go. Um, 
All right, supporting cast. Elizabeth Salander and Joker. What a better what a better match than that. Yikes. Um, yeah, supporting cast uh, in this movie. There's a few recognizable names here for sure. Uh, Christopher Plummer, who I mentioned, plays Henrik Vanger. Stellan Skarsgård is Martin Vanger. Um, again, the relationships are not exactly clear to me on... I think that he's... Is he Christopher Plummer's nephew, Martin Vanger, or... Grandnephew. Grandnephew, okay. Uh, right, because he's Harriet's brother. Yeah, right, okay, yeah. Um, you have uh, Robin Wright, who plays the assistant to uh, to Daniel Craig. Erica, who he, he's in a relationship with. Not an assistant. Man managing editor of the magazine. Oh, okay. Well, that was kind of not clear, maybe. but um, It's a little yeah. vague in, in the movie. Managing though. editor. Again, I don't remember anything about this book. But. She's his boss at the end. Of the, yeah. They're, they're co-editors-in-chief at the beginning. She is his boss at the end. Yeah, no, that that's true. I, I yeah, I misinterpreted that. Um, and then Jolie Richardson, Richardson plays um, Anita, who is another major figure in plot. Um, who stood out for you from the supporting cast of the people I mentioned, or anyone else I've forgotten? Um, Jay, how about you? It was always fun to see Robin Wright and stuff. Um, but I'm gonna take my my second to point out uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who. I'm going to out myself here a little more in terms of my like lack of movies seen <laughs> until the last five years. But the first four movies I saw him in were the first two Thor movies and the first two Avengers movies. Um, you haven't seen the Dark of the Caribbean movies? I was getting there. And so then, you know, I saw those and I saw Goodwill Hunting and it was like, okay, like, you know, I, I, I liked him a lot in those and I liked him a lot in this. Um, you know, afterwards I went and you know, looked up his filmography. Like I've, I've done with some of the people we've seen on this countdown. And like, now I want to go watch, uh, him as the lead in Insomnia, the the original version, and yeah, yeah, True. I um, you know, just a throwback to another countdown we've done, and so yeah, you know, he he really stood out to me. You know, he was uh, the focal point of, of two of my favorite scenes for sure, um, which I'm sure we'll touch on later. But yeah, you know, he you know brings kind of the, the the right amount of menacing. I feel like you would need you know in a serial killer, like very believable when he's kind of like taunting Daniel Craig, and then also getting frustrated at him later when he realized that Daniel Craig doesn't actually know what happens to his, what happened to his sister. Yeah. Um, yeah. All in all standout performance. Yeah. I thought you were going to start talking about Robin Wright being the standout performance in this. And I was, I was going to just like hard. I, know, I just, hard I just gave her a quick little shout out, but it's definitely not the first second or probably even the third person I'd mentioned uh, from the supporting cast, but yeah, that feels right. This is a completely non-existent performance for her. Not, not her fault. Just like this. No, character. No, of course. Barely, okay. Which is, which is a shame because she's actually a really interesting character uh, in the book, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. I would agree. Stellan Skarsgård is the one who stands out for, for me, for many of the reasons that, that Jay has already said, I think he's kind of like the perfect Martin Vanger. I don't know. Like maybe you'd expect him to be a little bit more imposing uh, than, than what Stellan Skarsgård is, because I think that imposing is probably not the word I'd use to describe Stellan Skarsgård, but I think it fits, right? Like, he's kind of this, like, unassuming kind of person and, and kind of fits the mold of this, like, and this is, like, full spoilers, I guess, but, like, this sort of, like, incognito serial killer, right? Who's just, like, this super powerful, you know, businessman who doesn't seem like the kind of person... Like, he's not, he's not Christian Bale in American Psycho over here. Like, he's not this, like, really imposing figure who is like hyper masculine etc but he is martin wenger who is this person who has this really dark past and we discover a lot about it over the course of the film and i think he delivers the performance with i like christopher Plummer too it's not a meaty role for him whatsoever it feels very comfortably in his wheelhouse and scott's joke at the beginning was very apropos 
he's another patriarch of, of a family business that has run on you know his, his back, not anyone else's. And uh, he delivers that performance unsurprisingly well. Yeah, I think Stellan Skarsgård does a good job of like, um, you know, making, well, he makes Blomquist believe this, but makes the audience believe too. Like, hey, I'm the nice guy. I'm the normal one here in this family, right? Like, just, yeah. just listen to me. I'll tell you what you want to know. D don't, you don't want to deal with any of these other people. They're all crazy. Well, you also oh, don't yeah. want to deal with any of the other people because they are. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> they are all crazy, but also so is he. Um, yes. Spo spoilers. But I mean, yeah, we, we're, we're there. But we're there. Um, but but yeah, so I think he does a, a nice job of that. And then I do like, you know, when he breaks and we learn who he is and, you know, he's he has Daniel Craig kind of like torturing him and he's like asking him questions. And, he, and you know, Daniel Craig is like, oh, yeah, she's in Stockholm, whatever. And he's like, you're lying. You're lying. Like, I, I thought I, I like that uh, that scene. But uh, yeah. also, I will say one thing, just a comparison to the book real fast about that, about this character is that. Mm -hmm. It is actually like a genuine shock in the book, I feel like, when you actually discover the extent of this character. Because I'll have to ask Jay about whether or not it, it, there's like some real shock value to like who this person is in, uh, in the movie. Because I think the scene gets a bit blunted for a variety of reasons. But like in the book, you're like, oh, he's this person. Like it's clear, obviously, it builds up to like he's probably involved with the disappearance of his sister. But like the scope of what he's actually done in the book is like this like massive reveal, it feels like. Um, cause it really does feel like two simultaneous mysteries happening in, in the book to, from what I, I mean, from what I remember and what I experienced, but, uh, I feel like some of that surprise gets blunted a little bit in the film, but it's like, when you really understand that he's like constantly torturing people in his basement, um, in so many different ways, it's just like, whoa. Yeah. And, and I think part of the problem right with you know having to condense the novel is that you know there's only a certain number of characters who they can give like yeah. you know put in the spotlight certain number of member certain members of this family and so as a result you're kind of like well it's got to be one of them right like it's got to yeah. be one of these you know four people or whatever who the movie has actually spent some time on um and so I don't think it comes as a shock for that reason they try to do it a little bit right because the there's like the paralleling going on of Rooney Mara at the library or at the records room and yeah. she's looking up and she's thinking it's Gottfried, right? She's like gone through and, and cross-referencing all of the stuff and she's seeing his picture. It was. Every it was. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. But so there's like that, that um, parallel thing going on. And then, you know, she just, she goes to his house. She discovers that he's gone to uh, Martin's and, um, and yes, but, um, but yeah, so I, I think uh, that is maybe one of the, yeah. So satisfying to see her hit him with a golf club, though. Oh, what a great! Oh, yeah, scene. yeah. Not e and not even the most satisfying scene where she, uh, you know, commits violence against someone. But um, indeed. But I think that's one of the, like I said, I think that's one of the downsides of condensing it. Um, and I think if it was like if the mystery was the only thing in this movie, that would be a disappointment. But be yes. because the characters and the relationships and you know some of the themes are very strong to me. Um, I didn't mind so much that the mystery wasn't like a jaw dropping, like, Oh my gosh, it was him all along. Like moment. Like I, I don't think the movie. Like, there is still a jaw dropping part of the mystery, I think, or at least there was for me when I first read the book. Yes. Yes. I, I no, I agree with that. You know, that, that twist. They um, hook you at the end really hard. Rising, but yeah. Um, yeah. But we're talking, yeah, we're talking about the plot a little bit. So we, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, and I do want to ask Scott, just, yeah, you've, you've talked a little bit about it so far, but in terms of comparing this to the book, um, yeah. where do you think that 
because because it seems like from up front you're you're kind of of the mind that uh, there's just something missing from the film that wasn't quite in the book. Even though it's a strong film, there's something missing from it that yeah. the book really provided. And I was just wondering if you could, you know, state that more specifically. What comparing the book and the novel, what what is it about the book that you think makes a stronger impact? Yeah, I, th I think one of the things, I think there's a few things and I'll, I'll take through them here, but I think one of the things is I think we were just talking about, like I think that the real scope of the mystery feels like as big as it really is in the book, right? Like you have this entire family, like there's like several chapters that just like cover the entire family, um, their backgrounds, what they've done, where they live on the island, which you get a little bit of in the movie, but because they do like, Stieg Larsson takes the full scope of it in the book. He is able to like really keep you guessing, right? Like no one is ruled out that really that much. And it's constantly revisiting. There's like, yes, Henrik and Martin are more prominent in the book, but not to an extent where you'd be like, oh, it has to be someone that we're getting a lot of in the book. So there is some real suspense um, aligned with that. And I think that, that that does get blunted to your point, Scott, uh, in this because it's a limited number of characters and for the, for the mystery to have any meaning, it has to be someone we know. And and so I think that for that reason, the book is able to cast a wider net. I think that the relationship, again, so I, I've mentioned this already, but the relationship between Mikael and and Elizabeth Salander is more is like more slowly built up over time. The way they even come to meet, I think, is actually a really fascinating part of the book because there's this like cat and mouse game of him trying to track her down, not just going to this employer of, or I shouldn't say go ahead, but this like contractor that um, Der Froda uh, contracts and like connects um, connects Blomquist with, like there's an actual cat and mouse game of him trying to track her down, which is very fun. And I think Julia speaking to that, and one of the reasons why I'm surprised maybe that you don't like this book more than it is, is that I feel like everything that you like about this film, about it being like, oh, here's all of the files that you want to read through and here's all the background that you want to see someone go through like you get all of that in the book no, and i do and i did like really like the book it's just like yeah. it's you know it's not one of my favorites or anything sure. like that i don't and i don't remember it that much it was freshman year of college or whatever yeah. but yeah no i i take your point yeah because because like i feel like all those elements that are like you're talking about oh this film's so up my alley like a lot of those elements are even more exaggerated yeah in the book. and i think that uh, what this film is not able to do is really show you much outside, like relationship and psychology wise outside of Salander. Like that, like that is the most important part, no doubt about it. Um, and that is ultimately what delivers the movie to be the quality that we're talking about here. But ultimately there isn't many relationships in this film explored outside of that of Mikhail and Elizabeth, which again, it's the most important, but there are some really interesting relationships uh, explored and that really contribute and feed into the psychology of Elizabeth Salander, like her relationship with Holger Palmgren, who is the the person who has a stroke or heart attack or whatever it is at the beginning of the film that leads her to become in the custody of this other guy who um, who victimizes her. And so I think that there's that element, there is the relationship, the, everything everything's related to that central relationship, of course, but like the relationship between Erica and Mikael is explored more and also its effect on his relationship with Elizabeth, which is what the point Scott found that was really interesting at the end of the movie, where she sees them and, and she kind of dumps the present and just drives off at the end of the movie without saying anything like that. That is explored a little bit more in terms of the buildup to it and any sort of like com like several conversations that she and Mikhail have before that happens and things like that. So so there's just a lot. I think that the movie is is really remarkably able to distill a lot down to something that is digestible 
in a two hour and 40 minute movie with of course some sacrifices. But I think that overall the book just, just provides you more of everything and more of everything in this case is better because it really allows you to immerse yourself even more into the story that's being told into the relationships that you're, that you're reading about in, in the case of the book. And so I just, I mean, it holds a special place. And that reason there's also a different, a slightly different conclusion to the mystery as well. Like, yes, the reveal is the same, but um, we, I can save to talk about that later, but there's a slightly different twist on the reveal on the big reveal at the end. As, as a point of clarification, at, so at the end of the movie, right, she goes to him and she's like, what are you doing tonight? And he's like, I'm going to see my daughter. Um, yeah. And then we have the ending. Is that supposed to be the same night? Like, are we supposed no. to think that? Okay. Because I, I was confused about, oh, did he just yeah. lie to her? She's not, he's not lying to her. Okay, yeah. yeah. But he, it's just another night and he's going out with Robin. Robin. It's Christmas. It's, it's like Christmas Eve. Is that right, the, yeah. Is the is the last night in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So, so Christmas party. Okay, yeah. But, uh, okay, now I've brought up a, a few times that this movie obviously is another uh, serial killer movie for David Fincher, Seven and Zodiac being the others. Um, and I do want to talk about whether we think there are any sort of parallels between the films. I mean, I certainly do. I think, you know, not just the procedural element, you know, the, the procedural aspect of it, which I think is obviously uh, major in uh, Seven and Zodiac. But I also think about that scene I think Jay was alluding to it earlier at Martin's house, right? Where uh, he's like trying to hide while Martin is getting home. And then, you know, he ends up running away. Whatever. Reminded me so much of the scene in Zodiac in the basement with uh, with the guy who makes movie posters. Um, I thought uh, I, I definitely felt some of the same suspense there because it's silent, too. Like you don't hear any of the score in that um, scene, which I thought was effective. But I do want to ask Jay, because obviously, Jay, you are a big fan of both Seven and Zodiac. So. And not not as much of this movie. So I I um, I guess I am wondering if you have anything to say about why this movie um, doesn't quite reach the heights of those other serial killer uh, films from Fincher. Yeah, it's tricky, right? Because you know you you point out you know some of the similarities already, especially you know between Zodiac and this as both being procedurals. If I'm going to be completely honest, like I think a big part of it was that you know one really graphic mm-hmm. scene that we keep kind of dancing around. Um, Cause you know, it, it does come like fairly early on and, you know, while I acknowledge it's uh, importance in the whole thing, you know, the, the depiction of that kind of violence is always something that, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how to like say this. It's not that like, I, I don't think it should have been in the movie, but you know, it was just, it was just a lot. Um, and so I, I honestly, like, it might not even be so much that, you know, that the movie itself doesn't live up. It might've honestly, for me, just like put itself in a place where it was trying to claw back rather than you know coming from out in front because i I mean i was thinking about this you know coming into the talk and you know i i can't come in here and say like oh it doesn't add anything to the movie like it i would you know agree with you in saying it's it's important for helping us to understand the psyche of the character of rooney mara's character but you know i i think in in some ways like you could have still like crafted you know an excellent movie around you know 95 percent of the same stuff um, and, you know, given us a version of this character that, you know, is very similar to this one, but without that, if that makes sense. Um, you know, to point out one thing that this, you know, movie did well, and, you know, just to toot uh, Stellan Skarsgård's horn again, you know, is uh, like the other two films we're comparing this to, like, you know, the, the serial killer, you know, isn't someone who is particularly, like, physically imposing, isn't someone that, you know, you, like... I don't, I don't know, just like a physically intimidated of, right? But like, 
the reason that I, you know, give him all these props and why I think he kind of does help me like, you know, recover the movie at the end. is just, you know, the, the level of menacing, like the, you know, the fact that he's a serial killer, you know, like I can, I can imagine this guy just like hacking someone to bits and like not thinking twice of it. Um, and to be able to, you know, do that, to be able to convey that, you know, despite, again, you know, you think of Kevin Spacey in seven, you think of, uh, the person who played Lee, uh, his name escapes me in Zodiac. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And now this, uh, yeah, you know, they, that, that, that's something that it does well. Yeah. Scott, what about you? Uh, parallels between uh, Seven, Zodiac, and this? They're dark films. <laughs> well, at least Seven, yeah. right? I mean, this film certainly feels, to me, even though it truly does end up being a cross of the two, right? It's the journalist looking for the serial killer, but it is much more of the procedural, even that I feel like Seven is more so than than it is for um, Zodiac. Well, that may not necessarily be true the more I think about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that where Seven struggles in the department of like, not, of course, it, it delivers in a lot of departments. Absolutely. I don't think Seven delivers in the psychology very much at all. I find it really interesting that, that Fincher is able to take this material and deliver something that is like psychologically very impactful, I think, um, or, or at least a very good exploration of psychology. That's a better, maybe better word than impact. Um, I think that, I don't know, maybe I'm in the minority on this. I like Brad Pitt's like fall in seven is predictable and not at all surprising. And I think you can even reason your way into understanding that person's psychological place. And it's not particularly interesting. I think that what you're getting from Elizabeth Salander and what she's going through, both from a, you know, physical experiences of dealing with men who dominate, who try to essentially assert their dominance over her and, and exploit her and, and give themselves some sort of like power trip on abusing her. And, and also to the extent that that's true for Martin Banger as well, who's torturing other women um, continuously for what, like 30 years, 40 years or whatever it is. Uh, I, I think that there's something a lot more interesting going on in this novel around the psychology of why men want to abuse women or why men would choose to abuse women rather than this psychology of Kevin Spacey's character in seven, where he's like crazy, right? Like he just comes off as this like just nut who has a, some sort of like religious fervor um, around the seven deadly sins. It's a little more, I, I'm selling it a little short maybe. But, yeah, yeah. I think we need to do a take two of seven because it seems like you've cooled a lot on it since we uh, since we talked about it on the podcast. But but yeah, no. For I, me, like, can I, sorry, just just yeah, to go ahead. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I think I've cooled on the the themes of seven maybe more. I think still think it's like one of the best actually delivered de like detective thrillers out there. I mean, it's a really it's really I mean they're really compelling performances as you'd expect from everything. But uh, thematically, I think that this movie delivers a lot a lot more, and maybe that I'm, I'm biased. I recognize that I'm biased in this because it's my favorite book, one of my favorite books of all time. Um, but I think that there's, the psychology of some of these characters is just so much more effectively explored. And I think in that sense is a lot closer to something like Zodiac, where I think you get the psychology of Robert Graysmith, it, like time and energy wearing down, you know, wearing him down, trying to find the serial killer. And what are the links that he's meant to go to? What does it mean to actually solve the crime? Or like, what relief do you get when that actually happens? Um, I think that, that that is where I see, I sort of see like the parallels with Zodiac coming a little bit closer together. Because frankly, when 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 Mark or sorry, when Mikhail shuts up, he's not looking for a serial killer. 
he's just looking for the person, like what happened to the disappearance of mm -hmm. Harry Banker. And it just so happens that he stumbles upon a, ser a serial killer. Um, and honestly, that's like pretty understated, understated in this movie. Like it's, it's only a kind of a last act reveal that he's even a serial. Well, I shouldn't say last act, like a fourth act out of five reveal that he's a serial killer. And he's dismissed, I mean, relatively quickly from the point where you realize that. And so it, it's not a, it's not that big of a on-screen deal that this person is killing tons of women. What is important and what you do know is that he's abusing women constantly. And that's the most important part, I think. And that's what this film is most interested in. And I, I find that more interesting than what Seven was going for. Yeah. See, I find the, like, the sensitization towards violence, like, theme of Seven to be really interesting and um, that's, that's, you know, one of the themes that I like about seven a lot and uh, comparing it to this film and this will kind of pivot us to what Jay was bringing up and, you know, the rape scene specifically, I think yeah. I'm kind of one of the people who is like kind of somewhat liberal when it comes to this idea of like what, what, how far is too far, uh, depicting something on screen, because I think, um, that there are only very rare circumstances where there is something that is just not fit to be depicted. Um, at all in a movie, because I think a lot of times depicting it can have, you know, a, a interesting effects. Like it can be a deter, it, it can almost have a deterring effect. It can also, um, you know, comment on the, on our desensitization uh, towards violence. Right. Which is, I think what seven does. Right. And like what kind of Kevin Spacey's master plan almost is in, um, in seven is to commit these, heinous acts of violence so that people will pay attention and be like, oh, wow, this is actually, you know, this is going on around us all the time, or, you know, murders, crime, whatever is going on around us all the time. And we're desensitized to it. We don't, we're, we're uh, indifferent. Um, and I think we see the effects of that here too. I, I mean, through the Elizabeth Salander character, right? Like she's experienced so much um, violence and there's so much violence at the heart of this story, right? That like the, um, the scene, I'm thinking about the scene where she's going through all of the victims of the serial killer uh, uh, with uh, with him and she's reading out all the details or whatever. I mean, and it's like she could be reading taxes or something as dryly as she's reading them. And then finally, Mikel Blomquist is just like, OK, please stop. Like, I, I've had enough, whatever, because it just becomes too much for him or whatever. But she's just like she totally is just desensitized to it because I think she's had to experience so much herself. And so yeah. I think by showing us what she has to go through. Yes. It's very graphic. It's very disturbing. Um, and you know, just horrible to have to, to watch her endure this, uh, even though she does get her revenge, right. Which is satisfying. But, um, but I think, um, it helps us, it, it puts us in her shoes a little bit more because we're not just like being told that, Oh yeah, she's been sexually assaulted, blah, blah, blah. We're not just seeing like a vague image of like a zipper going down or something like that. It's like, we are actually seeing it. We we can't you can't like look away and be, and just like you know be indifferent or ignorant to it. Like it, it you're seeing it there in all of its grisly detail. And I think because of that, um, I mean we have more sympathy for her character. We can put ourselves in her shoes a little bit more, and um, you know we aren't so desensitized to it, perhaps. Um, and you know we we can maybe see the acts of the serial killer and the acts of Martin for as shocking as they actually are. Um, yeah, and, seeing what this violence looks like towards women. Yeah, and, and I, I am someone, and we will talk about this next week about how uh, a movie in which I, I hesitate to say certain scenes should have been shown, but it's like I think this is an example of a movie where you should consider whether a scene like this 
should be shown for a variety of different reasons. Does it add anything to the plot? Does it potentially glorify a certain act that is, frankly, you know, in, inexcusable in society? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a rare case, and I do want to emphasize rare that I think there are very few cases um, in film where a, a movie actually strikes the right tone for a scene like this. And I, and I do think that this film, partly to Scott's point, but also partly to Jay's, like the film does do something with this film. This, this film, I don't think anyone would watch this film and say they're, they're, that it glorifies what's being done in this particular scene. And I think that because of the key central themes of Elizabeth Salander's character and her development, I think it's really important for you to understand her her past and her history when levels of with the levels of abuse that she's faced for you to understand even like even the most basic things about like how her relationship with Mikhail develops, why she's invested in finding this killer of of women, right? Like that's the way that Blomkis, you know, phrases it. Like I think I think it actually is at least mildly important to understand who the character is. Does that mean that that this scene still needs to be shown? I, I don't know if I'm the person to make that judgment. I, I think that it, it does add stuff to the film. Is it worth showing it ultimately on the screen at the end of the day? I, I share, well, I, I partly share Jay's feelings about, about I'm, I'm a mix about it because it's, it's really tough to watch and not an act that needs to be shown in most movies, right? So I, I do hear where Jay's coming from there um, and more on this topic next week. Jay, do you have anything else to add uh, on this issue? No, not really. I mean, I, I don't. I don't want to harp on it for too long. Even though I, you know, I've made it clear that it was a, you know, probably the most driving factor behind how I ultimately felt about this movie. I mean, you know, you. I, I think we've said pretty much all there is to say about it. I just, you know, I, I'm. I, I think I'm also generally, you know, not someone who shies away from you know, other potentially heinous things being shown on screen. And when we talked about seven, I remember saying that I didn't necessarily, I think I said, I didn't necessarily think this movie could be made today, but I didn't think personally that the violence was too much, even though like there were some truly horrific things. Sure. But, but to your point here, like, th this is uh, not about how bad like something is relative to something else, right? This is about like a certain behavior that happens far too often in society. And of course we don't want anyone to go out and murder someone. But like sir, this, this behavior is like a controversial behavior right like not everyone thinks that certain things aspects of this is wrong right like obviously i think this film paints a portrait of like clearly this is a very negative portrayal of something like this in terms of like he's just simply exploiting the power dynamic they have no like there's no like frills to this to this relationship that someone could like latch onto it be like but like i don't know what this was right like maybe she yeah. was asking for it right like which is like the thousand times you hear you know, people excusing other people be like, oh, how was I supposed to know that she didn't want this, right? Like, obviously, the, it, it really clarifies it in this film. But to your point, Jay, like, it's not about, like, how bad the violence is in the movie. It's not about, like, how grotesque a certain murder scene was, right? Like, you could argue those scenes are more gruesome than this one. But I think it's the particular act, right, that's that's not classified on a dimension of how of how grisly or gruesome it is. Although it is quite grisly and quite gruesome in the manner in which it's portrayed. And it just goes on for a while, right? Like, I, you know, I... I it's you, not you like get, you can look you away for a split second and just miss it. You know what I mean? Like, anything. 
Huh? Yeah. That, that's that's, kind, of the, that's kind of the point I'm making, though, is that like it is it is purposely graphic, purposefully yeah. graphic, I think. So. Oh, sure. I, I, I don't. Yeah. You don't do something like that on accident or, you know, without thinking about it. Like, I, I'm, I'm sure this was very intentional. And like, again, I can I can understand, you know, from our conversations, like, you know, the purpose it serves, like, you're right. You know, like when you see her way, you know, in her own way, when she like lights up, when he says, I want you to help me catch a killer of women. You know, like the, uh, we very much like get the importance of that even more so now. But, you know, you also talk about, you know, the fact that she gets, you know, revenge uh, at some point, you know, like that's satisfying. Like, you know, to me, like not worth, not worth what we had to go through to get there, you know, and when she runs into him again, yeah. or, you know, doesn't run into him again, but, you know, like confronts him later in the movie mm -hmm. in the elevator. I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, I wanted to like forget that yeah. this happened. That's a, you know that, what I mean? That is, a, that is a scene created for the movie. That, that scene does not exist in the book. Interestingly enough, see, I see, and listening to Jay, like I, I'm in two minds because I think, um, to me, I want to say, well, then I think the movie accomplished what it wanted to accomplish, and like giving you the feelings you're probably supposed to feel about those scenes. Um, sure, and that's fine. Yeah. Like it, the, I, right, I but it doesn't necessarily make for a satisfying viewing experience. I understand that is the counterpoint that probably you're trying to make. That like from a enjoyment of watching just watching a movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's it's also yeah. very different when you know that it's coming. Yeah, because sure. when she just goes to get money from him, you don't know what's about to happen. But sure, and, and I mean, yeah, like you know, to yeah, I, I think you actually put it well in terms of like the enjoyment factor. And obviously, you know, it's not like everything has to be sunshine and rainbows. I mean, some of my favorite movies and some movies have given very high scores to have some, again, like you know, very disturbing content or leave you walk like you walk away and you're just like life is meaningless. You know, like Memento or something like that. But you know, this. That's comedy, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I feel like we're kind of going in circles now, but I think you said it well. That yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it does what it needed to, Scott Harvey, but yeah, it didn't. It didn't add to my viewing experience, if that makes sense. So, yeah. So, so to follow through on this and to sort of transition towards the ending of the movie, which is I, I do want to talk about maybe as sort of a final point before we wrap up, um, and specifically the way that the the relationship ends between Lisbeth and Mikhail. Like to me, I see this whole movie as like the major male characters uh, are all asserting like their power over women in different ways. Like in in the case of this guy, it's you know he's he's he is raping Lisbeth. I mean, and and that is like the you know one of the most uh, one of the like boldest uh, expressions of power that one person can have to another um, is, you know, to commit that act towards them. Um, and then you have Martin, right, who is he's, um, you know, he's asserting his power through killing women. Um, like there's no there's nothing sexually going on there that, that, that we're supposed to understand. But he is, uh, you know, he's doing it in a different way. He's asserting his like power by um, by them, okay. women. Yes. Um, it's not clear. He's he's not he's not just killing them. He's like torturing them for weeks. Yes. And, you know. While pl playing Orinoco Flow on the uh, speakers, yeah. like, was like he's essentially he's essentially he's getting off by torturing them. Like that's yeah. not it's just really not clear in the movie. Like he's like sexually getting off by killing by well, torturing. I mean, it's clear he he literally says that he gets that's hard when he you know sees yeah. the, the yeah. hope drain from the water. So. Yeah, but he is not like committing sexual acts towards them. Was what I meant. But um, but yes, but I, I, he's torturing them. So that's okay. Yes. Okay. No. It, it totally. I, I mean, it is. It is. It by contrast to what the whatever. I don't even remember what his name was, but that that was the only point I was trying to make there. But then, 
the, my ultimate point is you also have Mikhail Blomquist, right? And I think that what he is doing is far more subtle and, you know, is maybe the most interesting thing to me is that he is sort of being, he is asserting like emotional power over her. He's like almost committing like emotional violence towards her in a way because he is like letting her in. He is um, allowing her to like participate in this investigation, right? Making her feel like, hey, you have um, some agency, some power, some whatever that like men haven't made her feel in the, in the past. Um, and, you know, he's giving her an active role in this whole thing. It, it, it truly is like a partnership between the two of them. And, you know, she thinks that that is that is translating to uh, romantic attraction as well. And that he is um, letting her in that way, too, romantically. Um, and then what we kind of see at the end of the movie, right, is that he has kind of been toying with her emotions, whatever. Maybe maybe even like you could draw the conclusion that he was using her feelings a little bit to like, you know, to allow her to or to get to to make her continue to be part of the investigation, right? Because he understands the use of the usefulness of her to the investigation. And ultimately, right, what happens, right, is that he is able to, the thing that he wants most is to get his revenge against Herr Vennerstrom. And he is able to do that only because of her, right? Only because she has all of this information on him. And she goes to Switzerland, right, and steals all the money from him. Um, and, and so she plays a huge part in that. Um, and he, but then what we see at the end, right. And she, she thinks that that is, you know, him again, him, uh, sharing power with her, sharing agency with her. Um, but really at the end, I think we're left to question whether, whether he was just using her the whole time. And so I see that as the, you know, that, that's what I take away from sort of the final moments of him, she, her seeing him right away with Robin Wright and, you know, throwing away the, the gift and everything. But, you know, do y'all have any comments on the ending uh, on, you know, how the relationship ends up. Um, do you like it? Is it unsatisfying to you? What are your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, go to, go to me first. He was going to have a really clearly defined opinion because I've thought a lot about it, what's in the books. Um, look, like I read it very differently or oh, not very, I, I leave it, I, I, I read it substantially differently. I'll say that from what you're saying, because I don't think this movie or book or whatever is trying to portray Mikhail as someone who is like even on like the same spectrum of this, right? Like this relationship with Erica, and this is maybe this is maybe a disservice um that the movie gives to to some of the characters is that because you just don't get the exploration of Erica Berger's character mm-hmm. in this relationship, is like she's married. Like I I think that they point that out a couple times in in the movie, but like she's married and she's basically in an open relationship with her husband and Mikhail. Like that's like basically what their relationship is. It is, like, not a serious relationship for Mikhail in the grand scheme of things. And, in fact, like, I don't know if it's – if there's a little bit more at the end of the book in Dragon Tattoo. In Dragon Tattoo, the sequel goes into it a great deal because they they explore this whole ending in great detail as part of, part of the, the sequel. But ultimately, like, the way that I read it is that, like, this is somewhat – like, she has become vulnerable to someone. And she has a certain standard for which she holds, you know, people to in terms of, like, what it means, like – to like someone, the reasons you like someone, to be in a relationship, et cetera, right? And and that's all very undefined for them, right? Clearly, right? I think that the movie doesn't go into that detail. And, and frankly, the book doesn't go into that detail either. But what you get is that, like, Erica is still a really important person to Mikhail. And there is a lack of communication between the two of them about what that means for them, right? And I think that what you see at the end of the film is Lisbeth 
having become vulnerable for all, you know, with her history, being this person who is very reticent to open up to men, she becomes vulnerable with this person over these set of experiences that she has with Mikhail and who, who she trusts. And the societal norms combined with the vulnerability she's portrayed collide in the situation where she feels like yet another man has let her down. And that's not necessarily an exploitation of women in the way that she has been exploited by many men throughout the court, course of her life. But I think that adds to the psychology of this character. And one of the reasons why I think this character is still so believable in her change towards becoming vulnerable with Mikhail is that when there is this chink in the armor of what, of again, like the sort of collision of societal expectations around relationships, which Mikhail and Erica are breaking, and like the vulnerability and expectations that Lisbeth would have for someone who she has opened up to and has become romantically involved with. And yeah. I find that to be like a really fascinating intersection and speaks more to the psychology of Lisbeth and less to like the movie or the or the book painting Mikhail in a certain light. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, so you're kind of saying that, you know, him going away with Eric at the end is not necessarily an explicit rejection of no but more that is how she perceives it because of her own views of what you know relationships are supposed to be like and the fact that this is the one person she's she's allowed to she's she has let in and now here he is with somebody else yeah. where when she kind of just wants you know exclusive access to him or whatever like yeah, or, or not even exclusive access or there's like thought certain things of yeah him. right yeah and, so, yeah, I was just gonna say that definitely seems like informed some by your um, yeah, by reading of the book. I definitely, um, agree. yeah. So, I, yeah. but I, I totally get what you're saying. I think the ending is open to interpretation, and honestly, maybe that's why that's why I think it's a strong ending. That's it's a strong place in this relationship because I think you can take it in different directions. Of um, yeah, like you, you can you can look at it as this is Elizabeth's own perception of it. You can look at maybe it was Mikkel using her the whole time. What is it a little bit of both? Um, I don't know, but I think they're both fair readings from the movie, even though maybe the book lays yeah. out a clear case. I, I fully acknowledge that. Jay, yeah, what, I, what are your thoughts? I hear what you're saying. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, having come into this with no, none of the context that you guys did, I, I didn't interpret it so much as, you know, he was kind of using her like at, at worst, I kind of saw him as like a now that life is kind of going back to normal. Like, you know, he has this obvious tie that existed before and he's, you know, still involved with Robin Wright's character. And that's, you know, not great. You know, if you're thinking of it from the perspective of like Rooney Mara and, you know, wanting whatever, you know, however you want to define what she, her expectations for their relationship now that she'd open up to him yeah. and whatnot. Um, yeah. I, I didn't really see it as like, Oh, he was using her the whole time. I just, I definitely, the moment I saw it, I was like, Oh, that sucks. You know, like I, cause you know, she's there with the jacket and like, you know, it's like, Oh, like, you know, he's clearly still like back here mentally. And like, honestly, I even thought to myself, like, you know, does, is he, or is this just like a, an awkward looking moment like for her? And like, you know, what, how would their relationship actually potentially continue? Like I was left to wonder, you know, like, like I was like, this can't possibly be it, but like, you know, we're, we're left again with the open-endedness yeah. of like, you know, she leaves and in my mind, like, isn't coming back, you know, like it's just decided like, Oh, another, like, you yeah. know, she another... doesn't come for a yeah. very long time. She goes to the Bahamas for about three years. I mean, yeah. The only thing is just like, you know, looking at his character's actions throughout the movie and their relationship, I just feel like he knows like the role that he is starting to fulfill in her life. I feel like, um, because, you know, she like, 
kind of throws herself at him um, during, you know, at, at this point where she's clearly decided that, you know, she thinks he's a, a good person or whatever. And so she like, you know, you know, th throws herself into bed with him, literally. Um, and I, I think, I don't know, I, I just feel like he knows what he's doing to some extent. He knows that probably Elizabeth um, may not have a lot of connections in her own life and that she's clearly just like dropped everything. She's surrendered yeah. whatever she had in her own life to, yeah. you know, join him at this house and investigate the, the crime with him. Um, and so I think like, yeah, maybe it's a little harsh to say he was using her the whole time. I don't think that I, I probably don't think that that was true, especially now that I understand like that wasn't he wasn't lying to her about going to see his daughter or whatever. Um, yeah. But uh, I think there I don't think he's completely innocent right at the end. I think that um, him making the decision to go out with um, with Robin Wright when I think he knows pretty well about how Elizabeth feels about him and their relationship. Um I think could be seen, you know, maybe not ex as explicitly rejecting her, but as disrespectful to her feelings. Um, even if communication breakdown is the real problem. Yes, we haven't talked even about from, from, you know, just removing that from what her perspective is of the relationship. I think just looking at it objectively, you can see, like, I, I, I personally think that there are a way to look at it objectively, Scott. Yeah. Um, I think that um, he's not completely innocent. Um, in, in the whole thing, but uh, it's a it's a complex ending, which I think we got into, and so uh, yeah, I mean, also the book to this point, like when I was talking about building out the relationship more early or earlier on, it is like they like when all this stuff with Venestrum is happening, kind of post, which we haven't even talked about the big reveal at the end, uh, even technically, I guess I should say like the end of like we'll say like mm -hmm. the third and fourth act, um, it, they they go on like this holiday together to like i don't remember like what caribbean island or somewhere like there's this whole segment of the book that's cut out and condensed for the film back in stockholm where she's like doing all this stuff with Vinistrum. but like in in the book that's like taking place when they're like on a like vacation on like a caribbean island together um and like again not just as their relationship develop developing more slowly earlier on to where again you get like the ramp up to where they end up at uh, you know, at the climax of the film, you also get more of their relationship, like post climax of the film, as uh, of the novel at least, as well. There, and I think it reinforces this notion that he's not using her, he's not doing any of these things. He does care about her, but their individual expectations for their relationship are different, right? Like he, like Erica, is this person who holds a very special place in his life that's very hard to displace. Slash, you'll never displace. And Elizabeth has these like very societally set expectations for what a relationship is when she actually feels the way that she does. Like she has this like romantic hookup or whatever at the beginning of the film that it's implied that she does regularly. And that means nothing, but like, this is different the way that she feels about Mikhail. And I think that there's this like really, again, speaking back to like this whole character who is eccentric and ostracized from society and doesn't know how to communicate what she feels or how she feels to other people for a variety of reasons or maybe it isn't even how she just like doesn't feel comfortable doing that and there's like another breakdown and another setback in her life and another man who's disappointed her and i think there's lots of ways to interpret that in the context of the film which is exactly your point uh, and this is i'm just i'm just vocalizing more my perspective just with the background of the book and stuff like that yeah yeah i got you um there is one more question i want to ask that before we uh we wrap up and that is about a about the sequels right because 
you know, this was originally planned to be a franchise. You it know, still you, is a franchise. They have they have uh, the girl yeah. and the spiders, which is yeah, yeah. But but yeah, to to that point, right? That was not actually part of the Millennium Trilogy, and their plan was to have you know, girl with the dragon tattoo, girl who played with fire, girl who kicked the hornet's nest. Right? That's the that's the trilogy. That's what they did with the Swedish films. Right? They they filmed all three of them in Sweden. Um, and it just never really came about. Um, and obviously at this point, you know, we're nine years away. It's not going to, or nine, nine years removed from this film. It's not going to happen ever. But I guess I wonder, um, you know, would you guys have wanted to see the sequels? I mean, I, I would have for sure. Like, I, I think if it's not clear from my reviews, I think that again, the character, uh, the characters are so strong. These two lead characters are so strong that, I think I want to see a sequel regardless of what the storyline is. Right. And I think, um, you know, we've talked about that with a lot of movies, right. With, with Zodiac in particular, I think we, we talked about how with these types of stories, right. Like, yes, the mystery is important. Resolving the mystery is important, whatever. But um, these types of like procedural crime stories are more about people than they are about the crime. And um, I feel the same way about this movie. And because I cared about the people um, I would like to see what happens to the people after this movie ends, especially with a slight cliffhanger there that, that we're talking about. Um, are y'all on the same page? Jay, uh, you know, obviously you didn't enjoy the movie quite as much as us would, but would you have been interested in seeing a sequel after this one? If there was a sequel, I would have watched it. I think, I don't think I would, I, I wouldn't have been clamoring for one, Yeah, but I, I would have watched it again. And, and, you know, for the reason you said, like, you know, that Remar's character is just so interesting. It's, it's almost the kind of thing that's like I I almost wonder like how you follow up a performance like this. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I feel like I, I can, with the sequels. <laughs> I mean, you know, in terms of like how you live up, right? Like you know, I, they're, she's they're the problem, of, right? She hasn't really lived up to the performance since since this one because she hasn't had a role like it. Oh, I, I mean, I, I don't even mean like her as an actor, like in life. I just mean like this character. Like, how would I feel about? you know, Rooney Mara as a character after this film versus after a sequel. And like, you know, where does, I, I guess like, you know, just for Rooney Mara, like specifically like in this role, like do I think she peaked in the first or the second movie? And like, yeah. you know, how is the storytelling like potentially affect that and yada, yada. And I don't, I don't know. I feel like there are a few performances and I'm, I'm thinking of similarities between them and, you know, they're, they're all kind of like, deranged or disturbed characters in their own way and i'm like yeah like i'm not exactly sure how you know you bring a character like this back you know i mean obviously for you know if, if you expect it to be a box office hit you find a way right so you know i this is a long-winded way of saying i'm not sure like how it would have been followed up which is why i wouldn't necessarily have been clamoring for a sequel but if if it you know if there was a true sequel to this and it was the same cast like i you know seeing what i've seen now like i would go watch it Scott, what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, look, it's not just my favorite novel of all time, but like the sequels live up to it. I mean, they're very, they're very different, not thematically, but plot wise, it's a different mystery that's being explored. And, you know, not unlike some other films, like the sequels are like back to back, right? Like to like Girl with the Fire and Girl with the Hornet's Nest. There's some time between um, Dragon Tattoo and the sequel. It picks up immediately from the second to the third book. It's like literally the same scene when the third book picks back up. Um, and so it really is one story. And, and that was the way they were planning to shoot the sequels as well. Cause it's not just like, oh, we would have made sequels if this film did well. They had scripts written, yeah. they had planned shoots, they had release dates. These films yeah. had release dates um, and they didn't happen. And that, and that is brutal for me because I think that 
the, you know, even if there were, I mean, there was a lot, I mean, I read a lot of articles about it, but there, it seemed like the script was pretty different from the book ultimately. So, and, I, and I'm interested to see what that means, right? Because I think that they still have, I mean, look, there's like, the, the sequels are even longer than the original. So there's so much to condense down and to change. And that doesn't surprise me that they have to take a different tact or a different angle with what they're going to do with the sequel. But it's it's massively disappointing. Daniel Craig is great in this type of role. He didn't prove it in all the other roles that he's done that's similar to this. And Rooney Mara is something special, right? Like, it's it's incredible. And then the just absolutely incredibly dumb decision to reboot the franchise in the way that they did and make this some sort of, like, weird-ass action film with... I mean, nothing against Claire Foy. I think she's fine, whatever. Um, but the, the direction they go with that with that sequel, with Fede Alvarez directing it, it's just like, it's the strangest film. There's nothing wrong with Fede Alvarez as a director. I just don't but, think... But for, for an action movie like this, it's a little weird to me. Um, Maybe. Um, but, but, like, but anyway, but like the point is, like, again, I can't emphasize enough, and this is the strangest part, it's not... It, like, that movie in 2018 is still a sequel to this. Like, it is still... Yeah canonically the same character it's not like a reboot of the franchise like it's it's literally supposed to be a sequel to this film with, with just like a recast with just recasted roles it is like the strangest decision on their part but what is the point of making i mean i don't understand what the point of making it as a sequel is because it doesn't like continue the storyline of, of dragon tattoo really does it uh, i mean it depends on what you didn't see it right no i didn't well it, it depends on what you mean like the, yes and no like it continues to explore her backstory, which is what every book after the first one does. Every book after the first one, the main character is Elizabeth, even though I she can conceivably watch the movie without having seen Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, right? And it would probably all make make sense. I think so. I, I, I mean, I, I yes, I read all the books, so I don't really know yeah. how to answer that question. But uh, it certainly was marketed in a way where you didn't need to have seen the original movie. It's like a soft reboot that's still a sequel. Yeah. Um, like she and Mikhail Blomquist like know each other already in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they hardly ever even cross paths in the movie. I literally don't even know why he was in the film. Um, I mean, he's in the book considerably, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, I think that it, it's a strange decision. Um, that that book and that story, to, to slightly clarify something you were saying, Scott, is 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 constructed from the notes of Stieg Larsson, who had planned like a ten book series. It okay. is not written by him, though. Um, yeah. It is still like the product of someone else's writing, who was given like basically the blessing of his estate, his, his girlfriend slash wife is basically who owns his, his IP and state uh, estate and stuff. And so was given the blessing and he's writing basically a new series. He's gotten two, there's two new books out and there's a third one still to come out um, that have been somewhat successful. I think not as good as the originals, but um, overall it was really disappointing to see the sequel that we did get because you have Fincher, you have Zalian. They're all like writing and directing. They were all going to, they were going to do incredible. all of them. Yeah. Everyone was coming back. Um, and it's just massively disappointing that it didn't happen. And honestly, Scott, I can't even figure out why it didn't happen unless the script just wasn't working. The film did well commercially, yeah. Yeah, like it made 300, you know, well, not 300, but I mean, it definitely made its money back. It was like 230 million or something like that. Um, Good reviews, Oscar nominations. I mean, Oscar wins. It won, yes. it won for film editing. Yes. Um, so a little disappointing that it didn't happen. And I'm curious to know the real reason why. But yeah, I would have loved to see it. Alas. Uh... Yeah, there, but you know, next time we'll get to talk about Fincher doing another bestseller. Um, so clearly, he he thought he uh, he found a niche there, um, and you'll have to you know return next week to find out whether we think so too. Um, but uh, let's wrap up this discussion. Uh, Jay, your favorite scene or moment from this film? 
Uh, I think I'd have to give it to the line, uh, which I'm going to very much botch now, even though it's my favorite. Um, but paraphrasing it, you know, you knew something was wrong, but you came in anyway. You know, like fear of offending. Like how is you know like how is fear of offending worse than fear of pain? And yet it is. Yeah. Um, you know when uh, Skarsgård is talking to Craig, you know, asking him like basically saying you know, like why did you come back? Like you knew something was wrong and you didn't want to offend me, so you came in. Like I thought that was uh, like I don't know like funny in like a really deranged way. Um, yeah, I really like that line. Scott, it's, uh, it's a good yeah. That's a that's a good one. That's a really good good scene. I mean, for me, it's like I think there's so much to digest in all of this, um, especially some of the changes, again, which we didn't even bring up the big reveal at the end of the movie. We had to talk about the whole thing without bringing up the big I mean, reveal. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know what, what much there is to say about it, except, yeah, it's, I mean, it was surprising, right, that Harriet is still alive and that Harriet is Anita, right? Yeah, Harriet is not Anita in the book. Whoa, really? Okay. Yeah, slightly different twist. Interesting. She is, Anita is alive and not dead and living in London, and Harriet is alive, uh, doing well in Australia on a farm. I really don't remember this book at all. But there you go. There you go. It's, it's there's a lot to there. There's, uh, yeah, again, so there's like you, A and B and C plots going on. Anyway, yeah. uh, my favorite, favorite scene. Oh, yeah, I guess that's a, the golf. It's, it's the golf club to the head, man. Just like, <laughs> give him one. I'll follow yeah. up like the the sequel to Jay scene. Uh, Elizabeth Salander laying one on Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's pretty satisfying, but I'll, so talking about that final twist, I will give a shout out to like the brief scene that we get of like their reunion, right? Of Harriet and uh, yeah. Henry having their sort of like emotional reunion, right? After 40 years, you know, he he thought she was dead, whatever. Maybe this is like the one person in the family probably that he really cared about. Um, so the only person in the family. He cared yeah, about. I mean, yeah. So, so much so that he's like, I want I'm calling you in to solve this mystery so that I can know something before I die, um, essentially. And he almost dies too, which gets yes, kind of yes. over. And and so seeing them reunited was a nice like, um, it, it was a heartwarming moment in a movie that doesn't really have any other heartwarming moments. Um, so there you go. Um, yeah, let's put a score on it. Jay, what do you give this uh, out of ten? Great performances. Uh, doesn't necessarily save the movie, like I said, but seven point five. Doesn't save the movie. Seven point five. <laughs> Again, this is on my scale. I know. It's just so funny to hear you say 7.5 after all that. Bye. All right, Scott, how about you? Yeah, I really got on my soapbox on this one. I feel like I, I talked a lot. Well, someone will have to do the stopwatches to see how much I spent blabbering about the book. But, yeah, I'm giving this film not that much higher than Jay. Uh, but I still really I, – I do love the book, and I think I appreciate the movie more for it. But 8.2. Yeah, 8.7 for me. I think it's really solid. Um, again, probably the weakest of the uh, serial killer trilogy from Fincher. Um, but as Scott said up front, like, you know, maybe this is the last he has had to say about in this genre. But if so, like he's made three pretty, pretty sterling efforts, all of which I think are saying something a little bit different and are, um, are executed in different ways. So, um, you know, kudos to him for that. And kudos to him for making, you know, Having a lot of pressure to make this movie, having a lot of pressure to adapt a book that so many people were familiar with and loved and doing it in a pretty satisfying way. I mean, you know, it has a high critic score, but it also has a high audience score. So people people really enjoyed what he did with this. So shout out to him for that. Um, But yeah, that'll do it for our uh, discussion of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. 
Um, if you've enjoyed this episode um, and you like to support our podcast, don't forget about our Patreon, patreon.com slash media pods. Um, also, uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all the things that you do on your uh, preferred podcast app. Uh, we are on all of the podcast apps, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever. Um, and so you can you can rate, review, subscribe, like, do whatever you do on those apps. Um, and uh, we hope, of course, that you will be back for our next episode, our penultimate episode of the Fincher Countdown, on which we will be uh, doing our last movie review of a Fincher film. And that is for, uh, as we've said, the 2000, Fincher's 2014 adaptation of the Gillian Flynn bestseller, Gone Girl. Uh, but until then, for Scott Shelton and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.